I want to read a out-of-the-box text for you today. I'm going to read from the book of Judges, chapter 7, verses 1 and following. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and I'm grateful for that name change in the story. Then Gideon and all the troops that were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The troops with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Israel would only take credit away from me, saying, My own hand has delivered me. Now, therefore, proclaim that in the hearing of the troops, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. Thus Gideon sifted them out. Twenty-two thousand returned, and ten thousand remained. And then the Lord said to Gideon, The troops are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them out for you there. When I say the one, this one shall go with you, he shall go. And when I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the troops down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, All those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps, you shall put to one side. All those who kneel down to drink, putting their hands to their mouths, you shall put to the other side. The number of those who laughed were three hundred, but all the rest of the troops knelt down to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred that lapped, I will deliver you, and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go to their homes. So he took the jars of the troops from their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel back to their own tents, but retained the three hundred. The camp of Midian there was below him in the valley. The word of the Lord. I would imagine that we all come with different obstacles in front of us, uh, that you have been kind of facing your own challenges. Uh, for some, maybe you're like, I, I want to feel more confident, and, I, and I'm trying to figure out how do I overcome this feeling of that I'm less than, that I'm not worthy. Uh, for others, maybe you're trying to feel like you, you fit in and you just feel like you're struggling and struggling and you want to fit in, but you don't feel like you quite do. And we all have our own stories of the things that we are kind of facing in life. Maybe it's financial troubles. Maybe it's uh, life decision choices, all sorts of things that we wrestle with. And I think there's two extremes that we face those things with. For some of us, we come in super, super confident and so we feel like we can handle everything on our own. We've got things handled. This is my obstacle, but I'm going to take care of this. And so I was trying to think of like, what projects that kind of confidence? How do I know when I've got things handled myself? And so I was thinking back to a day, which is almost 20 years ago, May 1st, 2003. Uh, about 20 years ago, uh, President George W. Bush stood and delivered a, a speech about uh, the Iraqi war, and he talked about this mission that needed to continue, that things weren't done, that things weren't over, that things needed to continue, but there was a real problem to the messaging, which was his stage direction. Someone had designed a platform that didn't resonate fully with this me message of the mission continues, and so instead we had a banner that said mission accomplished, which has been much maligned because we still have troops in Iraq. You know, it's been a while. But something about this message, hey, we've got more to do, but yet you've got a banner that says we've already accomplished it. And somebody felt really confident. I don't know what staffer, who in the room got to pitch this idea. I've got the perfect banner. And you got to pitch it to people. And you're like, I'm going to say mission accomplished. 
and we put a flag on it. Why we put a flag on it? That's, that's always what we do. But let's put the biggest banner possible up. And, and it doesn't matter what you say when you're in front of that kind of confidence. That's what is conveyed to people. That's what gets remembered. That's what gets SNL sketches. That's what the society will hear. And there's some of us who we walk through our life and we feel so confident that we're walking around with that mission accomplished thing. And sometimes that can be off-putting to people. You're like, hey, tone it down a little bit. And I like, uh, Brentley read earlier the Psalm 139, and I was thinking about that psalmist, and it, he, he has this great vision of himself. Like, he's worthy, he's great, but he's like, I'm really great. God, I know you are a good creator. Why? Because look at how awesome you made me today. And so there's this weird line that we tow of, like, how do we feel confident, but how do we not, like, cross a line towards overconfidence? And, and maybe that's your struggle. Maybe you know someone who always comes off as like, I know it all. But maybe you're on the other side of this pendulum. Maybe you really struggle with confidence. And you're always feeling like, you know, I'm going to fail this. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't belong. And so also probably about 20 years ago, there's a certain movie uh, that Mission Impossible. Every, every story in your life, you're like, oh, there's no way I can do this. It's, it's too hard of a mission. Uh, it's too much for me. Maybe I should go home. I, I just, I can't deal with this. And so we live in this world between extremes of, is everything just easy? I've got all confidence or am I nothing? And I'm no good and I have no place in this. And so I think we all live in the midst of that. We're all trying to figure out how do I have the right level of confidence, the right level of trust, the right level of responsibility to do what's in front of me, to trust God, to go into the world. And in the midst of that, we get this really peculiar story in Judges chapter 7. A lot of times in the Bible, God does not act the way you expect God to act. God is continually breaking out of the boxes that we make for God. And so in Judges chapter 7, we have a time before there were kings in Israel. There were just leaders who just okay, there needs to be someone to step up and somebody steps up and helps Israel get delivered from their enemies. And so in this story, Gideon is the one who steps up and he steps up and he's got a lot of troops. And that doesn't sound like a bad thing. Like, I don't know many people who are military leaders like, oh man, I've got too many troops on my hands. Now, it does not say that he has too many troops because their supply lines are suddenly struggling uh, they don't have enough crops. They can't get access to something. Um, it says in the text that they're struggling because, well, maybe I might be too overconfident in myself. And so God tells Gideon, I can't hand your enemies over to you right now because if I did right now, when you have this many troops, all of Israel is just going to say, aren't we great? Aren't we so strong? Aren't we so powerful? And that overemphasized ego, that overconfidence creates some other challenges and problems. And so God says, listen, we've got to deal with this problem. We got to send some people home. And so God says, okay, go out to the people, go talk to the troops and tell them, is anybody afraid? Sort yourself out. Okay. If you're afraid, go on one side. If you're not afraid, go on that other side. And I want to know what that seems like. Like, like what kind of mentality is going on? Like, are people being honest? Are people doing what people around them are saying? Uh, like, 
I think there's this weird, like, in what world do you not have a little bit of fear? If you're about to go to battle, that's just natural, but you're in this military environment. And so it's like, no, 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 I'm not afraid, right? I, we've got this. And so it's okay. I, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid. Okay, over here. You know, I, I got this. Okay, you're over here. And in the story, it says, okay, well, we're Gideon's going to sift them out. If you were afraid, congratulations, you get to go home. Uh, and that, they didn't know that was the outcome. Right? You just say, hey, are you afraid? Are you not afraid? S sort out. But it says, okay, if you were afraid, you get to go home now. You don't have to stay. Thank you for your service. And you get to go. Uh, it doesn't show like there's any shaming involved. It doesn't say uh, you were bad for this. It was said, hey, we want to shrink our army. Thank you for saying you're afraid. Time to go. And so he shrinks the army. And this is weird, I'm sure, to those troops. It's weird for everybody in the scene, but Gideon's trying to get past the idea, okay, God thinks that if I shrink my army, that will allow us to grow into who we were made to be. Like, this is some sort of divine principle. Sometimes we must shrink in order to grow. And so Gideon feels pretty good about himself. Like, I think if we were an HR department, you should hire Gideon, probably. He was able to do like a 55% reduction in staff all in one get-go and had no problems with it, it seems like. So Google or some of the tech companies might really appreciate him right now. Uh, but what, what's interesting is God's like, okay, but that's not enough. You went from 22,000 down to 10,000. And Gideon's feeling like, I think that satisfies what you needed, right? You needed less. We're a little less than half. That's good, right? But God says, no, okay, okay. I, I let you sift them out, but now it's my turn. Let me sift them out this time. Okay, God, you want to sift them out, you sift them out. I think if I gave you a giant sheet of paper and said, can you write me a thousand ways you would sift out the last troops, you would never once pick what God picks in the story. That you're going to ask them to go drink water, and the way that they drink water gets them chosen or not chosen. So some people bend down and drink water. Some of them, it says, drinks like dogs. And there is a bunch of rabbinical and Christian interpretation of what on earth is going on here because it's not exactly clear. But we get the general idea. If you're lapping up the water like a dog, somehow you're separate. And if you don't, you're the other group. And I think that what would seem like common sense is, well, if you drink like a dog, you're going home. I think that's how we would usually think about things. But it's like, okay, this unusual drinking group, you are who's staying. Everybody else, go home. And so that original troop that was 22,000 people was shrunk down to 300 people. Now, not Zack Snyder 300, different 300 army, um, but 300 soldiers of God here in this valley. And so while Gideon went with this 55% reduction, if you go from the initial number, 99% of the troops were sent away. Or from Gideon's number, 97% from that were sent away. God's like, okay, I said you needed to shrink the army and you didn't think big enough. You're like, ah, half sounds good. I, I shrunk it. 300 people are left. And it's such a weird principle. It's such a weird thing, especially for a military to send, you know, almost 22,000 troops home, leave yourself with 300. Now, I was thinking about this weird advice of like, we don't like this kind of illogical advice in our lives. We want everything to make sense. Now, we don't make decisions that make sense, 
but we want to sound like we had some sort of logic to our decisions. And so I, I was reading a book recently, this really good book by uh, Rory Sutherland, who is a ad advertiser, vice chairman of a big company, uh, and they do marketing. And he wrote a book about the fact that people think they are thinking logically, they're not ever thinking logically. Uh, one of his favorite little factoids, so we often think about our brains like the control center making decisions, it's like the Oval Office, but really it's your PR team. Your body just kind of, you made some decisions and now your brain's trying to figure out how to justify what you've done. But he, he has a lot of interesting insights into how people make decisions. And he was talking about the industry of beverages, non-alcoholic beverages, which are largely ruled by the Cokes and the Pepsis of the world, right? It's like Coke, it even feels like iconic in its bottle. There's just something nostalgic about it. And you're trying to compete with shelf space with the people like Coke. And what you would think is the way that I would have to create a beverage to beat the Cokes of the world is it needs to taste a lot better. It needs to cost less money. It needs to give maybe more quantity. Give me a bigger drink, cost less, taste better. That's how you beat Coke. And yet, Red Bull showed up on the scene. Tasted much worse, costed more money, gave you less to drink. But they sold you an idea. You're going to be more productive. It's going to give you wings. You are going to fly through your day. You are going to be a better you. And that's how they competed with Coke. We don't think that way though. We think the logical route. It's gotta taste better. They had a lot of fun stories about they were doing taste tests and people are like, usually if they don't like something, they tell people, you know, this isn't for me. Like I'm sure someone likes it, but they were just getting results of this tastes bad. And there's something about being pushed out of the box that gets us into something fresh, gets us into new ways of thinking, new ways of being. Rory was tasked with a project. He had an insurance company who wanted him to better pitch their policy. They're trying to sell this policy. And they have been, for over the years, crafting and crafting. So they had this great two-letter, uh, two-page letter that would convince you you needed to buy this policy. Every time they revised it, it got better. Every time it got more sales. They said, okay, what can you do with it? And he took the two pages and he said, I'm not doing this. You're getting one paragraph explanation. Of course you should want this. Here's how you get it. If I have to keep talking and talking and talking, at some point you're going to say, well, what's the catch? So I'm just going to project the confidence of, of course you should make this decision. So he went with a one paragraph pitch. Now, text doesn't get too, you know, sad around shrinking. You know, like you lost some words, the words aren't hanging out on the dictionary, like sad about that. Uh, but people have a whole lot of different experience about what it is to reduce uh, the size of your army, reduce friendships, reduce numbers. And so I was thinking about like, what's the experience of all these troops going through the scene? Like if you were afraid, you might be glad to be going home, but you might not be. You might be thinking, where was my like William Wallace style speech, Gideon? You're supposed to rally me. You're supposed to bring out the confidence. What, you've let me down and you're just sending me home? And now when I get home, what do I tell people? You might be one of the people who drank normally. You're like, what a weird situation. Am I, like, did I do something wrong? Because I drink normally, that's why I'm going home? 
what, what do I do? And how do I tell people back home? Why am I home? When 22,000 troops start going back to their own villages and have to explain what's going on, Gideon's a little bit strange. I don't know what Gideon's up to. Those people in Israel have to be thinking about what on earth is Gideon up to. Like, this sounds like an awful thing. We're about to lose our battles. We're about to lose our farmlands. We're about to lose everything. What's happening here? Would you rather be the 300 soldiers left? Wait, now I have to go to war? I've lost all my allies? Now we're all the front lines? I don't have any safety of anybody else in front of me. Would you rather be Gideon? It's like, I sure hope anybody understands me here. I sure hope we trust God. I sure hope this works out. I hope I'm hearing you right, God. And all of these people had to trust in their own way. The troops were sent home left. The, the, the people of Israel didn't go and like start a revolution and kick Gideon out. Everybody had to trust God. And I think for us, we all have different experiences of where like we know like we need to, to shrink back from some things. Like you might be in a really unhealthy relationship where you're like, I know that this is unhealthy. It might be emotionally abusive. It might be all sorts of toxic things. And you think, I have to get out of that. But it's also really scary to leave. And it's really scary to feel like you're, you're leaving behind someone else, some other th- opportunities, whatever it might be. What will people think about me? What will, who will I be? Will I be enough? You know, think about parents of, of kids when you become empty nesters and you think, okay, well, I have to refine who I am. Like, like how, how do I grow as a person in the midst of my family shrinking? Obviously, they're not shrinking fully, but shrinking from the everyday life present. It is hard to trust that sometimes letting go will actually involve growth and building up. But for Gideon, they could have never imagined what was coming next. Uh, they, they surprise attack in the middle of the night. They take their 300 people. They would have been spotted easily had they been 22,000 people. You kind of leave a mark. You kind of sound loud. But these 300 people go in the middle of the night and they surround this camp and they have trumpets, which, uh, you know, maybe I should have asked God to just bring the trumpet in for the day, maybe. But uh, suddenly a loud sound goes off and you're woken up and you're going, what is going on? And in the confusion, the army starts fighting itself and their enemies destroy themselves. And they lose, you know, the casualties of that 300 troops going to war in that way would not compare to if they had gone with 22,000 people and went straight on to a regular battle. But God had a different plan for overcoming their obstacles. And I think about for us, can we trust that sometimes, uh, sometimes we have to make transitions in our lives from friend groups, from families, from workplaces, from all sorts of things. Can we trust that God is going to be in the midst of it in ways that you don't expect? Sometimes we hide in numbers and in crowds. You know, there's the great like bystander effect. If you are going to be facing a dilemma, distress, bad situation, you want a couple people around, not a crowd. When there's a crowd around, everyone's thinking to themselves, somebody else will do something, right? It doesn't have to be me. There's plenty of people in the room and maybe they'll handle it. So people walk by, people don't call the police, don't whatever it might be that you need in that moment. 
But if there's just a few people, you're like, oh, I don't have anybody to look around to. I guess it's me. I've got to do something. And so what is it to embrace that shrinking might increase your growth, your responsibility, your possibility? One of the things that I really appreciate is uh, it's a God thing that every time the cafe has ever gone through, oh, we've got some regular volunteers who have life things changing where they're not going to be around for a month or two. It's inevitably the moment where we get people who say, hey, I've never volunteered. I'd love to volunteer. I think Logan can attest to this, this wonderful, beautiful uh, reality that we always see as we feel like, oh no, how are we going to survive the next month? That's the moment where people step up and step in. But you would never want to ask for of like, hey, I just need you guys to go away for six weeks, please. Because I'm going to trust somebody else is going to step up and just please just go away for a little while. We never want to embrace that that path, but yet God continues to move in those paths in our lives. And I know it's like a big picture thing for us of like the pandemic reshaped our lives, reshaped our communities, our, our churches, our schools, everything. And there's something about having things stripped away that's painful, but also becomes a growing moment where God can say, okay, what matters to you? What, where can I grow you in ways you weren't expecting where you aren't realizing what was going to be possible. And so while this is a really challenging time for a lot of churches everywhere, I think it's also a really hopeful time. It's like, what might God do in the midst of all of these changes? And so I wonder of like, what in your life might God be pruning back? Where you don't wanna like experience that pruning process it's usually seems kind of challenging because we kind of miss the branches. We miss the leaves. We miss the flowers and say, God, I, you're cutting my rose bush. I don't know. I don't know. Is this going to grow back or not? But what do we trust God in the midst of this process? One of the things I think is really important for us is this whole story is about who takes credit. None of these soldiers who were sent home were failures. Quite the opposite. They all listened to their commander. They listened to what God wanted. God wanted to shrink the army. They left. But there's something in us that like thinks of them as like, oh, they were, they're the lesser people in the story. Like, no, they're faithful in their leaving. That's, that's what they were called to do in the story. The people who drank differently, are they better or worse? Than, they just drank differently. We, we're the ones who like to make comparisons and decide who's better or worse. Um, but the people in the story are doing what God asks them to do. They're doing what Gideon asks them to do. And in this story, Gideon could have said no. He could have been the person that says, you know, God, I, I hear you, but I want the troops for the battle. Uh, I'll, I'll maybe ask for forgiveness later. I'll make a sacrifice later to make you happy, but, but I know how to do things. But Gideon says yes to God. All of these soldiers say yes to God. And I think about how do we think about our responsibility, our confidence in the middle of this? One of the great images that I've, I've heard is God is the great physician. And you think, well, God's going to heal me. Like, how much do I get to celebrate my part in that process? And I love the image. They talk about God bringing you consent forms and saying, would you like this procedure done? I can fix you up. I can heal you. Just, just, just sign it, please. Please sign it. 
please sign this. And some people will refuse, say, I don't want this work done. I don't want to go through it. I don't want to examine myself. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to trust you. I Come back tomorrow. Maybe, maybe I'll sign then. But for those of us who have said yes to that at some point and said, okay, God, I'll sign. Some of us want to hear more of the details. Every time I have a surgery, I say, please don't tell me more. Just, it's fine. I trust you. You're the one that got the training. You're doing this. I don't need to know more. Just please put me under for this. But how much do you want to say yes and say, okay, I'll sign this off. Now, if you said yes, that is wonderful and beautiful, and I'm glad for what God's doing in your life, but it's also a little bit weird to get out of surgery and go, aren't I the most amazing surgeon in the world? I've signed my name on that. I just did an awesome job on myself. We celebrate God. God, thank you. I have a responsibility in the way that I respond to you, the way that I, I submit to you, but, but ultimately it's God who gets the celebration. But I, I still think, you know, we've had a lot of folks with, with different knee replacements and other things of like, it is not easy to decide, okay, now's the moment. It hurts enough. I'm going to get this done. There is an element of celebrating every time somebody says, says yes. But we should also celebrate the ones who make that possible. In this world, thinking about the doctors, think about our teachers, think about the people who, who pour into our lives, who, who train us, who grow us, who develop us, and ultimately to God. Remember, God told Gideon, this army's too much. He didn't say, you're going to think too much of yourself. He said, hey, Israel is going to feel like they've got things under control. We need to say yes, but we also need to figure out how to make communities where that's not an irregular thing to say yes to God, but a part of our process that we're always saying, God, where are you finding ways to move in my life and our lives? Help us say yes, even when it does not make sense. And so I don't know what in your life might need pruning. You might be thinking, I... Uh, it's not the season for it, right? Like, I can still wait. We've still got a little while of winter left. There'll be spring later, please. But now is always the best time to start letting God garden your life, your spirit, your decisions. And so my encouragement is, even when it makes no sense, when God has that narrow door, you're like, there's a wide path that a lot of people are taking. Can I please take the wide path? We don't know what we're asking for when we want that wide path. You don't know where it goes. But when God opens up that narrow door, can we say yes to it, not knowing what's on the other side, just trusting the one who guides the path? And so may we look at that pruning process for ourselves differently. May we embrace it. May we look forward to it. You know, it's, it's the physical therapy, right? It's it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful, but I know that it's going to loosen up these joints. It's going to make me ready to move with God. May we all move with God today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask, aware of the weight of this ask, that you might prune the parts of ourselves that need to be grown up more into you. Lord, that 
we know the fruit of what it is to be in your spirit, to, to love, to be kind, to be patient, to be good. Lord, wherever that is not coming through from us, we ask that you might just transform us, that you might make us into the beautiful creation you are making us into. And Lord, let us not celebrate ourselves in those moments. Help us to celebrate you so that we might invite others to go on that process too. Lord, give us hearts not just for our own process, our own search, our own paths. Help us to celebrate when others say yes to you. Help us to encourage each other. Help us to grow each other. Help us to love you and each other better. Lord, for whoever feels worthless or empty, Lord, I just ask that you might fill them with your spirit, that great spirit of power and strength that, that they were not created to be nothing. They were created to be someone loved by you, child of God. For any of us whose heads have grown too large, we ask that you might humble us, get us back into right relationship with you, and to our neighbors. Lord, grow us today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.